Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast, it's brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. And I'm here with my new friend, Paige Griffith. Paige, thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast listeners. Yes, Nathan. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, and uh, I, I was complimenting you earlier on your podcast voice, but our, our conversation has already <laughs> been flowing very naturally. And it, it's not often that I get to say this, but I, I, we should have just hit record from the get go. We've already had some great conversation. I'm excited to get into more of it. And maybe we can just start off as we normally do with what we call our aha moment. And I think maybe at times that this creates a little bit of confusion. Aha moment means different things to different people. But very simply, what would be the biggest or hardest lesson that you've learned as a business owner so far? So mine is kind of a little bit non-traditional, my answer here. And that's mainly because um, I've been working an eight to five job for the past two years. And I was also in law school before that. So my answer to this isn't necessarily what are, you know, what can I tell you um, as far as my business aha moment goes, because it's really interconnected to my education and to me being an attorney as well. So it kind of happened over time. So for the past six years, I started law school six years ago is when I started my business, but things really started ramping up with my photography business uh, really about two years ago. And that's when I started having, you know, 20, 30 weddings a summer wow. while working my eight to five. And when, when I think about aha moment, it was really last year. So the summer of 2017, I was juggling my eight to five job while shooting about 25 weddings. And every week I kind of just dreaded like waking up and having to go to work. And it wasn't that I didn't like what I did. Like I loved being a law clerk. I loved the law, but just something wasn't right. And I knew what it was because I lived for the weekend because that meant I was photographing a wedding and also running my business in my own time. And it really was like this aha that I knew photography was pulling me in a different direction than most like law school grads were actually pulled. Usually they're pulled to firm life. Um, what type of practice are you practicing is what people always ask. And so I just really needed to find out what that was. And so it was aha. I finally realized and took to heart the fact that I wasn't going to go into this traditional law route and instead, I was going to start my own practice and combine my photography and legal passions into one. And, and so what was the, when we're talking about this aha moment and, and the realization, are we talking about the, the idea very simply that kind of working, it's, I guess you wouldn't call it the corporate life, but being in an office, an employee of someone else in a traditional sense, that, that was just not for you? What, what was the real, actual realization there? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. That's definitely it. So it was making 
it was just making me feel like I wasn't leading the life that I was meant to live. And I knew that my passion was taking me in a different direction and that working from a computer and sitting at my desk all day long wasn't going to make me happy in the long run, no matter how much that was going to pay. And I just knew that I had some skills and a unique background to be able to help photographers and other creatives. And I really loved small business law. And it, it just, it just hit me one day. Also after talking to lots of uh, legal mentors, photography mentors, and people just really telling me, you know, you need to take your passion and build your own business and have, you know, work for yourself. Well, and, and we're going to actually get into, you mentioned being an attorney and, and also a photographer, and, and we don't <laughs> read a traditional bio here on the, the podcast, largely because so many other podcasts and, and uh, well, various forms of media do just that. I, I love just kind of diving into personal conversation, but uh, we're going to get to the, the legal side of things here in a little bit, because uh, what you bring to not only the photography industry, but entrepreneurs as a whole is a consultancy service that that ultimately creates awareness on a very simple level and of course you get into much more detail this but but create a certain amount of awareness about the legal side of running a business this is not something that photographers or entrepreneurs in general who are like hey i want to start a business that they're not thinking about that right off the bat and so this is a really important value add that you're bringing to entrepreneurs and to photographers specifically and so we're going to we're going to dive into that in a little bit more detail here in just a bit but let's actually go more on the personal side and uh, help our listeners, and in fact, for, for that matter, myself, I get to know you a little bit more. I'd love to know something random about you that maybe most people don't know that wouldn't be your, in your traditional bio, if you will. Okay. So this is a really good question, Nathan. I was trying to think of, I've got a lot of weird things that I could tell you. Um, <laughs> like one of them is I can sing inside my mouth, kind of like a ventriloquist. That's super random. That is random. And why, why did you develop this skill exactly? <laughs> Oh my gosh, developing this skill was back like when I was vacationing with my family as a child and my brother and I were sitting in the back seat trying to f- do something to pass the time and I think we like saw it on a you know like a TV channel or something and so we just started practicing and I ended up being better at it than him. So yeah, that's like a really random tip. And so sometimes I like take the cake at talent shows, just random like adult talent shows if <laughs> that ever pops up. But I also like something really random is I, I live in Montana. And so we call it the Montana bubble. And a lots of lots of times people don't get out of the Montana bubble. It's super, super beautiful here. But I actually have been really fortunate to travel a lot and live in foreign places. So I got the travel bug when I was young and I've lived in Paris um, for about six months. And then I also studied abroad in Greece for about eight months. Wow! Um, And in between there, I've kind of actually just had this really awesome opportunity to travel all over the world um, with different organizations and, you know, extracurricular activities I was in, in law school and in undergrad and in high school for that matter. So I really just like took every opportunity to travel that I could. Um, and it gave me the travel bug young. So I, I have a lot on my bucket list to still get to. Well, that's really cool though. How many countries have you been to? Do you know off the top of your head? Oh, I don't know that. I should, I should know that answer a lot. 
Well, probably I, at least like 30 maybe. Oh, wow. Okay. Like we're talking, <laughs> yeah, high double digits. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> well, what would you say is one, maybe one of the most significant lessons that you've learned from travel? Because, you know, being, having the opportunity to, to get outside it, for that matter, your own state, but then outside your own country um, and get out and connect with people around the world. It's an incredible opportunity. I've had the wonderful opportunity to do so as well. In fact, I grew up in Japan. I spent about 10 years of my life there, but it, it gives you a different kind of perspective. Um, and I'm curious if, if there's a, a standout lesson that you've learned as a result of your travel. Oh, definitely. I can answer this any time of the day. When you, I'm a huge proponent of traveling because you really not only find yourself, but you find out about like where you live and why it's so special where you live, like where your home is. And the lesson for me is always how fortunate we are to live in the United States. Mm. I know lots of people, you know, complain about little things that are going on, whether it be politically or socially or just in their home environment. Um, but when you have the opportunity to travel, you really have this newfound love of the United States. And particularly when I lived in Greece, it was during a tumultuous time back in 2010 when they were having a lot of riots. And I was actually tear gassed in, I got caught in one of the middle of these 40,000 people riots and you can't really leave and the police blocks off certain areas of the city of Athens. And so that opportunity, and I remember seeing it on BBC, just really gave me a newfound love for the United States. Not that that hasn't happened here, but it's just so rare and lots of, you know, traveling just, it really, really makes you appreciate home. Yeah, I can, I can, I can imagine. Now you're talking about the idea of travel. Uh, you're, you're a photographer, you're an attorney. It, it <laughs> takes a little bit to create free time to even do such a thing as travel, especially for an extended period of time. But how, besides travel, how do you like to spend your free time? And, and maybe do you have a tip or two as to how you create that, that freedom amidst all the busyness of being an entrepreneur? Yeah. So when I spend my free time, I really like to go to this magical workout class called ULA. And (laughs) I say that and nobody knows what it is. Uh, It started here in Missoula and Missoula spelled M-I-S-S-O-U-L-A. So ULA is O-U-L-A. And um, they stole it from the name, obviously. (laughs) And it's this awesome like dance fitness workout. And it like not only gives you a great workout, but it really helps the mind, body, and soul. So I say it's like a Zumba class uh, on crack, maybe a little bit. (laughs) Like top 40 songs and really popular songs. So people get used to the beat. It's choreographed, but very simple choreography and pretty much all levels of dance, all body types, men, women alike. It's just a really great time. And to answer your second question... Uh, this is, I, I get asked this all the time because I really do feel like I work a lot. Um, I, I love working. So that is something that feeds me and feeds my soul. But I've noticed that finding free time is often difficult for myself. And so if I was giving a tip to photographers who um, feel like they're running around and they're doing a lot, they're just hustling, 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 or photographers in my position who are working eight to five and then trying to run a business in the evenings and on the weekends. I think it's really, really important to schedule in time for yourself. 
I say that because if you're putting things on your calendar for work, you oftentimes forget about putting things on your calendar for yourself. And so for me, if I'm hustling and getting stuff done during a like large period of time, if I don't actually schedule in like legitimately in my Google calendar, put in time for myself, whether that be working out, hanging out with friends, or even just putting in a date night for me and my significant other, I can like go a month without personal time. And so I just find that really important. You need to feed yourself and do something other than the things that really make you tick. If that's photography and work for me or building a business, I need to do other things that make my mind stop a little bit. It's really good for entrepreneurs alike. And it's interesting because this is something that has been relatively consistent uh, and well, as far as the answers that we get in response to this question, the significance mm-hmm. of just simply creating the time. And, and and I've said this before, but I'm amazed so many times at, at the excuses that, that you'll hear photographers give, photographers give for not uh, doing something as simple as, as going to a get together. You know, I've got this thing or that thing, or I'm not feeling up to yeah. it, or I'm this thing or that, or that there's just always some kind of an excuse. At the end of the day, all it takes is just putting it in the calendar and committing to it. And, and, and especially when it comes to creating, I know for me, creating mental space is, is a really huge thing. I, I tend, I have my personality type, I guess you could say is, is such that I'm very much in my head quite a bit of the time. And that can be good in some ways. There's a certain level of self-awareness that comes along with that, uh, at least for me. But at the same time, I need to, to move out of that space and that constant analyzation and going inward. And so creating space, even if it's you know taking 10 or 15 minutes to, to meditate or to go right. for a walk or to get out in the motorcycle for me and, and, and go for a ride, whatever it might be, creating that space is really important. Uh, I think it helps encourage creativity and ultimately ultimately clarity of thought. So yeah, I think this is a great recommendation. Again, for those of you listening, all you have to do is just create that time block. Even if it's something as simple as, you know, 15 minutes or a half hour, or maybe an hour here and there, block out that time, do something that you know will be helpful to you and ultimately create the, the, both the clarity and the creativity that you need as, a, as an entrepreneur and as a creative business owner. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. Can I add something on there? Absolutely. So I think you made it really clear, like do something for yourself. I would just add on, do something that is mindless. So that doesn't have your mind constantly go, go, go. Um, because as entrepreneurs, we're consistently using our brains all the time and our creative juices are flowing. And you really need to take a step back from that and do something where your mind isn't firing 24-7. It's good. Yeah. And, and I mentioned meditation. And, and of course, that right. different people will find that in, in different forms. Uh, mm-hmm. Very simply, the, the idea of being able to uh, as you say, stop, stop thinking so hard. Uh, meditation <laughs> gives you that outlet. And, and, and for me, I've, I've found that again, in different ways, but even in something as simple as riding a motorcycle, because it, it takes me, yeah. it kind of redirects my focus away from that, that inward overanalyzation and, you know, my, all my appendages, my, my hands, my feet, my eyes, uh, my ears are, are engaged in that process of riding a motorcycle. And it gives me that mental break uh, that you're referring yes. to. Different people are going to find that break in different ways, but I think it's a, it's a great point that you make. It's important to find that um, and to constantly or consistently rather go to that uh, for the sake of mental clarity and creativity. So that's really, really good. Now, you mentioned being a photographer. We talked just mm-hmm. briefly about that, and I know you're based in Montana, but what type of photography do you specialize in? 
So now I specialize in wedding and portrait photography and primarily like senior portraits for seniors graduating from high school. I started out, Montana's small, it's a small state. And so in my hometown, there's about 60,000, 80,000, if you count the outskirts a little bit. So when you first start photography in a small town, I've talked to and mentored a lot of photographers about this. You really have to be general photography. So you have to invite all types of family photography, maternity photography, newborn photography, wedding photography. Um, You have to just build your business. And then I think you can slowly start finding your niche. And now mine is definitely wedding photography and senior portraits. And I have a spokesmodel team of about 20 girls in this small hometown of mine from three different, or there's four different high schools here. Um, So that's been really wonderful for my business as well. Now, senior photography was never something that I got into personally, primarily wedding and uh, engagement photography was my focus. When it comes to senior photography and having this team of, of spokespeople, if you will, is that a really involved process managing that, that team? Does it take up a lot of your time? Um, no, it actually doesn't. So my spokesmodel team is geared a little bit differently. So it's not it's not all seniors in high school. I open it up to all levels of high school students um, because I really think it creates a camaraderie around different high schools and different age groups that wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to hang out with girls in other schools in other grades. So my spokesmodel team is really just kind of a bonding time for my girls. And yes, they do some, you know, spokes model-y stuff on the side, but that isn't really the primary reason that I'm doing it. I'm just doing it because high school isn't awesome for lots of people. <laughs> and it's not like a fun time for everyone. And I uh, was privy to that in high school. I just didn't really have the best time in high school. And I didn't, you know, find my group and figure out where I belonged. So I want to create that space for other young girls. So when you say like that, does it take a lot of time managing? It doesn't really because my heart is so into it. And again, I just schedule certain things throughout the year. Um, We have fun trips, like travel destination um, shoots with the girls And then we also just have fun times where we hang out like at a backyard barbecue or we go to a pizza party, whatever it may be that doesn't really involve anything spokesmodel related. Now, it's interesting, this model that, as you said, doesn't just include the seniors. I don't think I've heard of a senior photographer doing that before. Does that ultimately create a a kind of a, a larger fan base than maybe your average senior photographer who is just focusing on the seniors because these students obviously are getting older, they're up and coming. By the time they become seniors, they already know about you and your brand. Does that help in building a larger client base? Yes, 100%. So I'm going to give a huge shout out here to my photographer friend down in Phoenix. Her name is Alicia Larkey. And she runs Make It Happen Photography. And she is the brains behind my business model. So she developed this first. So I'm giving her full kudos on that. (laughs) And I was running a typical senior photography spokesmodel team. So it was only seniors. And Alicia just came to me and said, why aren't you opening this up to all high school students? You probably have that fan base already on your, you know, followers on your social media accounts. And 
these girls are young and they really want to be seniors, you know, they want to be a part of this opportunity. So if you open it up from freshman to sophomore to juniors, then they will stick with you if your spokesmodel team is doing the right thing and you've um, created a good business model for yourself and the girls are having a fun time and enjoy it. They'll come back every year and then they will tell their friends. And so you have a built-in, you know, you have a built-in model for getting there by your senior year and you'll book more clients in the long run. That's really cool. Okay. So her last name is Larky. Is that right? Yes. L-A-R-K-E-Y. And she runs Make It Happen Photography. And she's been dying to talk about her spokesmodel team business model. She's a genius. <laughs> oh, we, we may have to have her on the podcast, but we'll surely make sure to, to link to her website in the show notes as well. Now, <laughs> I know you got your photography business started while in law school. Talk to us a little bit about that backstory. Yes. Yeah, so um, in it kind of actually starts before that. So in undergrad, I was a corporate event planner. And before that, I worked in wedding planning. So I had already been in the wedding industry. I really loved weddings. And I knew that I've always wanted to take my like point and shoot camera and do something more with it. So before I started law school, kind of at the end of my senior year of college, I bought a camera and decided to start shooting with it, make it a passion, turned into like a hobby. And I went, I just wanted something to get my creative juices flowing because law school works a completely different side of your brain. And so you're constantly like head in the books 24 seven. And so it really just allowed me to be creative um, and have an outlet that I really wanted. And I've always wanted to build a business. I just had this like entrepreneurial spirit. And so being able to combine that during law school really just gave me Um, I think a better outlook on law school as a whole. I ended up loving law school. And I think it's because I did so much outside of law school that wasn't law related. And so I really had a good outlet. Now, what did that, that process look like? What was the very beginning? I mean, did you, did you just kind of randomly pick up a camera and you started shooting? How did, what did that look like? Well, I think I started shooting for probably like six months. And then I was like, okay, well, I should probably get paid because I'm in law school and have no money. Um, And I, you know, you just start asking people for free sessions, like I'll take it for free to build your portfolio. And then I just started slowly asking them to pay, starting my pricing low, and then taking a lot of online courses, going to like weekend workshops. I was just trying to fit it all during my time in law school. So I couldn't really go to like a big master class or anything like that because I just didn't have time. And I think after about a year, so about begin middle of 2013 to end of 2013 is when I launched my business. And yeah, I kind of just like went for it. And built some social media accounts, decided on a name for my photography business, and Page Marie Photography started. Well, and, and I love how matter of fact you are about about the <laughs> simplicity of getting started there. We're going to actually dive into to the legal side of how to start a business here in just a little bit. But um, you know, at the end of the day, as as easy as it can be to get in our heads as artist types, and and again to kind of overthink things, you just got to do it. And, and I I think being, and this is a reminder for myself, uh, for that matter, but, you know, just, just getting out there doing something and then course correcting, making adjustments as needed. That's, that's, we're in a, we're in a really lucky place as 
business owners or even potential business owners, 2018, the tools are there. They're either free or inexpensive um, to just jump in and get started. And um, there's plenty of resources out there that will enable you to learn not only how to be a good photographer, but I think even more important these days, how to run a really good business. And we need to take advantage of those. But at the at the end of the day, you just got to get started. And uh, so I love right. that example that that you set um, <laughs> and, and the way that you started your business. Now, um, we're going to get into, as I mentioned, kind of some of the, the legal details, uh, what it means to actually start a photography business and some of the things we should keep in mind here in just a little bit. But I got to go to the nerdy side for a second and ask <laughs> what's in your gear bag. Do you have a favorite camera body or lens or accessory? Yes, I love my Canon Mark IV. Uh, ultimate wedding and portrait photographer here. And no surprise, I love my 85 1.2L. So those are my go-tos. I really, really love portraits. And I'm consistently trying to hone in on my craft with portraits and create different portrait experiences for all of my clients. But I am one of those true believers in the money shots. So it really stems from my brother's wedding actually. And I'll never forget when we really didn't, my mom always said, why don't we have like a shot of just those two, like together smiling at the camera. That's the one that she wanted so badly for her house Mm. and for her mantle. And so I always joke at the beginning with my clients and I say, you know, I'll get you really artsy photos as well. But you know, my bread and butter is really just to get you beautiful pictures that will last a lifetime. And that grandma can stick on the mantle that your mom puts up in a canvas or an eight by 10 in her house for the rest of eternity. And so those are, yeah, that's my lens. Those are, that's what I love the most. And so I always would say, make sure I put in my reflector for portraits there for my gear, my favorite gear. Well, you know, and I'm glad you bring up this point too. It's it's something I think we've kind of touched on briefly on the podcast in the past, but as, as important as those so-called artistic shots are for feeding our creative interests as photographers, at the end of the day, most of that stuff just kind of goes over the the head, not, not because they're not capable of understanding it, but just the, I guess, really the interest. It goes over the interests of our clients or potential clients because the majority of the images that are ultimately going to either get printed and or framed or put in an album right. are, mm-hmm. are not so much those those artistic images as the, the classic stuff. And it, it's important to remember to, to put an emphasis on creating beautiful classic images of this, of the, the individuals, the couples, the family um, that are there at that on that wedding day, because right. those are the ones ultimately that are likely going to mean the most. Yeah. And that's really what I specialize in. So when I say at the beginning, kind of coming full circle here, Nathan, you know, what do you specialize in? I really specialize in weddings in particular, because I've found my niche of being able to really just give like a sprinkling of artsy photos. But the majority of my albums are just clean, classic, timeless images. I have, they're colorful Um, and so there's nothing like about them that might change, like an artistic style that might change 10 years from now. These are images that are colorful and happy. And that's just what I want to create because weddings are so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, it's, it's a wonderful reminder for our listeners. Do keep in mind for all of those 
um, who are not only already photographing, but, but wanting to get into wedding photography, it, it's important to remember to get those classic images and to put an emphasis on right. learning how to do those, uh, to create those beautifully, because those are the images in many cases, if not even most cases that are going to matter most to those clients. So that's a great reminder. Now, I, it's something that, that you've already alluded to a little bit, and I'd love to dive into this a little bit more is the fact that you stepped away from your kind of standard uh, or stereotypical attorney scene and you've created your own business it's ultimately a consulting business and i like the um what i would see as kind of a position statement that you've got on your website at the legal page mm-hmm. as and, and very simply describe it as a business whose mission it is to help small businesses feel protected and confident can you can you share a little bit more about this mission Yeah. So this mission really came from um, the mastermind that I'm a part of this year. I am a part of Jenna Kutcher's mastermind and all of these 25 phenomenal female entrepreneurs really helped me create my mission statement. So I looked to them and kind of, you know, just mumble jumbled a bunch of words of what I wanted to do and why I wanted to do it and why I was so passionate about it in my unique background and they really helped me create this business model that was in my head, but I couldn't really get on paper, if that makes sense. So I know that there are lots of, well, not lots. I think virtual law firms are becoming more of a thing, but it's you know mostly the brick and mortar law firms. And because I have a background in photography and building a small business, I have been fortunate enough during you know my legal career thus far to be able to also talk to creatives and know how their minds work. And their minds don't think about legal stuff. Like that's the last thing they think about. And I just want to kind of change the narrative. And they always think that it's scary. And that's the one thing that constantly these, you know, people, these females in the mastermind that I'm a part of even them who have very successful businesses, you know, lots of them six-figure businesses, some of them seven-figure businesses, they are still scared about the legalities of everything. And so I kind of want to take that back and really help businesses be successful and legitimate at the beginning and then transitioning that into my business model. So I want them to feel protected and confident Um, with their business model, making sure that their taxes, you know, they're set up for their taxes. And instead of being scared, being happy and confident with where their business stands. Well, and I think this is a beautiful example of of an an idea that I read or listened to actually in audiobook format, uh, the book called Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. This is a recommendation uh, by a friend of mine, Zach Gray. And uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really simple, easy to consume book, but really powerful concepts therein. And one of the things he talks about is, is the idea that, you know, brands have a tendency in many cases of kind of making themselves the hero uh, when they're trying to sell themselves or their service or their product to the potential client. Um, when really what should be happening is that these brands should be creating or making the, the, the client or the potential client, the hero in their own story. And I think you've done that really like well. That. Yeah. With this mission statement though, and that, that you're, you're thinking about how that potential client is feeling and ultimately your focus is to help them feel protected and confident. And, and this is really, really important to their story. Now, what is the detriment? And maybe this is obvious to some, but what is the potential detriment 
of those photography businesses that don't consider the legal side of running a photography business? How could this hurt their business in the long run? Okay. So I, when you gave me this question, you use the word detriment. And so uh, I think I kind of touched on this in the last answer, but detriment is, you know, the, the connotation there is a little scary. Sure. <laughs> so again, I have seen lots of virtual law firms and lawyers who are practicing for small businesses out there constantly saying, no, you can't do this. No, you can't do this. And that actually makes photographers and creatives like not want to do it then. Like they're, they're just, they'll, they'll push it farther down the line of getting their legal stuff, you know, ready for their business because it's scary to them. And so again, I'm really trying to change the legal narrative for small businesses and instead make them feel good about where they stand. And like I said, protected, confident, legitimate. So legal legitimacy is what I'm constantly trying to push for my clients um, that come to me. So it's all about setting yourself up for success at the beginning so that you are protected throughout the longevity of your business. And that's also really whatever stage of business you're in. So people constantly ask me, well, I didn't do this at the beginning page. And my answer to them is that's fine. Let's do it now. Like there's no better time than doing it now and setting yourself up. And so it's creating a business structure and the business structure for every business is going to be different. Depends on how, you know, how many assets you have and the amount of money you're making and do you have a lot of personal assets you need to protect. And so it just really depends on which type of business I'm directing. And then there's just really easy solutions. And I try to just make it extremely straightforward, really transparent to these businesses and try to tell them in honestly, with a smile on my face that lots of attorneys don't do. <laughs> yep. And if you're, if you're happy and you come across as, yes, you can do this and, oh, it's not a problem for you, um, then they're more likely to feel great about setting up their business for success. Well, it, it sounds like your focus is, is awareness, creating awareness and that, yeah. that knowledge leads to empowerment. And I think that's really, really important. And so on that note, I, I'd love for you maybe to kind of make this a little bit more practical for our listeners. What are some key ideas that photographers should keep in mind for the sake of legal success in their business? Maybe you can walk us through some of those. Yes, definitely. And Nathan, feel free to like chime in here if you have any comments to these, but I'm just going to go through like five basic steps that entrepreneurs can do to set themselves up for legal success. So the first is what I've been constantly talking about. Select a business structure that's right for you. That means right for your business to be legally protected and then also right for your taxes because it's always on us as, you know, we're still, if, if we are um, working for ourselves, we are constantly worried about our taxes. Right. <laughs> because it's not just coming through a paycheck every month and you know what's going to happen at the end of the year. So the main thing you want to ask yourselves self at the beginning is if you're a sole owner of your business or do you have a partner in your business? So sole owners should likely be, I would point them in the direction of being like a sole proprietor or an LLC. So sole proprietors is pretty much what every business is when it first starts. <laughs> so it really costs you nothing to set up. You don't really have to do anything unless you want to file your business name with your state. 
And then usually sole owners are single member LLCs. If I am talking to, you know, like hypothetically, if I'm talking to a photographer who is now about a year into business, they're, they're making a little bit of money and they're like, okay, I'm ready to set myself up legally. I would always recommend a single member LLC. And that's taxed the exact same way as a sole proprietor. And so what that means is they're both pass-through entities. So the businesses themselves aren't taxed and the it, it goes on your personal tax return. So it's very simple. I tell people all the time, like, yes, if if your finances and your budget is a little bit wonky, I would definitely direct them to an accountant, but lots of sole proprietors and single member LLCs can file using online services. Well, and, and I think uh, I'm glad you, you mentioned the accountant, the significance of an accountant, because <laughs> really that that should be a given at this point. If you're trying to establish yeah. a business or you've already established a business and you're trying to, to build that business, you should absolutely be working with somebody whose profession it is. Uh, to to do the numbers. And, and in addition to that, if you don't already have a system in which you're tracking those numbers, QuickBooks Online, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing to me how much they've improved QuickBooks over the last, I don't know, 15 or so years that I've used the software on and off. It, it's, it is so easy to use now. And there's really no excuse for not taking, I mean, it could be as little as three minutes or five minutes a day just to enter the most recent numbers, income or expenses, so that you're actively tracking that information. Your accountant can then jump into your account and and work with you on managing those numbers, of course, taking care of the taxes. There's really no reason not to have those two components of your business in place almost immediately. So definitely make sure that you do that. Should we also add, Paige, maybe a caveat here? I mean, are, are these these principles that you're talking about specific to each state, how much variance will there be from state to state? Yeah. So obviously there's a variance with taxes. I am not an accountant, um, but I know a lot of the legalities behind taxes. So taxes, your state taxes are going to be different no matter what state you're in, Sure. but federal taxes are obviously the same. And so lots of actually, um, you know, solo entrepreneurs um, are mostly worried about the self-employment taxes that are federal-based. So they, they're similar from state to state. So I would say they're it's, it's very similar across the board. You just might get a couple different deductions based off of what your state's tax laws are. And then I wanted to add in here, I know we're talking a lot about taxes, probably because it's <laughs> the middle of March and everybody's getting their taxes. All right. That. But I just also wanted to add in some legal information here. Um, And I want to point out that this is just general legal information that I'm giving. This is not legal advice and it doesn't constitute legal advice. And so legally, you also want to think about setting up your business based off of what assets you want to protect. So when I say it's good to set yourself up as, you know, it's easy to set yourself up as a sole proprietor. That's entirely true. Most businesses are sole proprietors until they do something. So if you want to protect your personal assets, and this kind of really rings true with all entrepreneurs that I'm helping, I just say, do you have personal assets that you want to protect? (laughs) 
And they'll say yes. And then I say, okay, well, you should probably become an LLC or an S Corp. An LLC limited liability company is the easiest really to become, but that it is an extra step in terms of what you need to do. And filing as an LLC, you have to set it up through your state. So I always also point entrepreneurs to the online forms. Sometimes people think that they're, you know, again, like coming back to this mindset of doing legal stuff for your business is difficult, but it doesn't have to be now. Nowadays, there's all these easy, you know, forms online that you can fill out and get yourself up set up as an LLC by yourself. And then they'll email you a confirmation, which is really great. And lots of lots of businesses don't know that. <laughs> so yeah, so that is kind of the end of my tip number one. So setting your business up as a business structure that's right for you and your taxes. And, and just to be a bit more specific about my earlier question, certainly taxes are going to be different from state to state. But when it comes to the legal structure of your businesses. Uh, whether it's an LLC, an S corp, or, or yeah. otherwise, the principles behind whether or how to decide about that particular structure are those the same from state to state? I would say yes. I mean, primarily, like all business structures are the same across the board. Um, you're not going to get like a different type of LLC in Montana that you are going to get in Tennessee. They're going to be the same. Again, I I just caution businesses to. Um, maybe talk to an accountant depending on what the tax liability will be for each entity. Got so it. the entity themselves is the same um, and you're going to have the same federal taxes depending on what type of entity you are. It just might change in a very, it would be very small percentage minuscule based off of de- state tax deductions. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, let's, let's jump on to then tip number two. So number two and number three kind of go together and you actually hinted at it, Nathan. So it's all about budgeting. And when I always like to go this next step after we've talked about creating a business structure like an LLC. So I always tell people that it's really, really good, even if you're a sole proprietor to maintain a separate business bank account. So don't commingle your business funds and your personal funds. I always say it's really best practice to have a bank account and you can have credit cards on top of that. Even though I never, ever push for credit cards, I like debiting and keeping your budget on track with expenditures and income coming in. But I always tell businesses it's just really good because it gives you a clear funnel of where money is coming in and out of. And if you're using your business bank account for just your business, it will set you up for success for taxes every year. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's number two. Very simple. And and if nothing else, it just keeps it a lot simpler, right? There there isn't Mm -hmm. additional work for you or your accountant to do trying to separate all those numbers out. And it's really not complicated to set up a separate bank account and have an additional debit card. So yeah, great, great recommendation. Make sure that, that you do have a separate business bank account set up immediately if you don't already. Yeah. And it is really simple. The only caveat would be lots of businesses don't know that you have to have an employer identification number. So an EIN and it's free and you can do it online. It's a federal number and it's just 
so that the government can keep track of your business when you file taxes every year. So to open a business bank account, you do need an EIN. It's free. It's online. So some people just forget if they walk into a bank, the bank won't give you a bank account if you don't have that. (laughs) Got it. Yeah. So moving to number three uh, is a really good transition because it's all around about budgeting for taxes. So I consistently try, you know, there, there's an interplay here between setting your business up as a certain entity and taxes. I'm consistently talking about that. Like I said, I'm not an accountant. I just know a lot about the legalities of accounting and tax implications. So you want to prepare your business and think of options in the long term. So most freelancers and business owners don't set aside the recommended percent of their income for taxes. And so I always just tell businesses, you want to have a budget spreadsheet that is accounting for the percentage of what your tax liability will likely be at the end. So I'm just going to throw some numbers out here because I'm an economics major and I'm also a lawyer. (laughs) And so it's really good to just know what percentage and tax bracket you fall into. If you are making, you know, between about $10,000 to $38,000, you need to be mindful of the 15% tax bracket that you're in. So I always just ensure that my clients have in their annual budget that they're using for profits and losses. And they're also calculating their net income every month. I always tell them to ensure that you're multiplying that by 15%. So you know what you need to save for at the end of the year. And then it just goes up from there. So 38 to 92 is 25%. And then about 92 to 200 like 190 something is 28%. So um, I, I do know some attorneys who recommend, you know, just saving 35%. And you can do that. And I think that actually makes you more successful in the long run. Um, so just ensure, be, well, you know, I'm saying that because 35% is more than all of these tax liabilities that I've mentioned. So if you're saving more, then you're good to go by the end of the year. But there's there's options for taxes. You just want to make sure that you're not stuck at the end of the year. Like you have all this tax liability and you don't have the funds to pay for it. That is not what I recommend a situation you want to be in. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, this stress around taxes a lot of times has to do with a lack of preemptive action, right? And and so Mm -hmm. not only budgeting for those taxes, uh, but paying them quarterly and then also setting aside an an additional, even if it's just two or three additional percentage points of your income, so that you have a cushion, so that you're not surprised at the end of the day or the end of the the, the year or the quarter, whatever it might be, um, that you know that you've got more than enough there to, to take care of your tax liability. It just helps to minimize stress at that point. You know, I, one of the things that really my biggest weakness as a photography business owner was the management of my money. And especially when it came to the tax side of things, I just mm-hmm. wasn't as proactive as I should have been. And, and so I, I can't recommend enough to those of you who are listening in, who are photography business owners or any entrepreneurs for that matter, be really proactive, first of all, and, and finding a great accountant. Secondly, and, and even really prior to that, setting up 
your yeah. uh, your accounting software. Going QuickBooks Online would be the first one I'd recommend. It's easy yeah. for your accountant to work with you through that software. Uh, but then, as we were talking about just now, be very proactive and preemptive in in your effort to set aside that percentage point, uh, that percentage of your income for the sake of taxes. And again, I would suggest adding two or three percentage points to that just to make sure you've got the cushion and and be very proactive in making those quarterly payments so that you don't face this massive bill at the end of the year, potential additional fees and uh, get surprised. You know, all of that just adds to the potential stress of running or managing the, the financial side, the tax side of your, your business. Uh, if you're proactive, you don't have to worry about that stuff. Exactly. And just to kind of finish up with budgeting, I know we both, Nathan and I talked a lot about taxes, but one of the things I have here on my list is keep your receipts, all of them. And I actually don't keep paper receipts. There's really great apps. Um, you've mentioned QuickBooks a couple of times, but there's just really good apps on your phone where you can take pictures of your receipts and then it automatically saves and then you don't have to worry about the paper receipts down the line. So again, just budgeting tips and tricks. Also, I, you know, I, I'm, I constantly say like working from home is a good way to save on your budget. So instead of going out and getting a brick and mortar location, you can save, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on rent, furniture, transportation, uh, parking, whatever it may be. And then the last thing I would add into just budgeting for a small business is hiring independent contractors before full-time employees. And I know lots of businesses are outsourcing right now. So just ensuring that they are set up as independent contractors and not employees will actually help you budget and save for yourself and your taxes at the end of the year. Absolutely. And 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 going back to your point too about saving receipts, it's really not difficult to do so. And, and, and right. this may seem like something annoying or frustrating or, <laughs> or otherwise, but you know, I use personally use a piece of software or an app called Expensify. That's really easy for me to track expenses in relation mm-hmm. to my company photographers edit. But in addition to that, if you just want something really simple, that maybe a piece of software that you're already using something like Evernote, it's very easy to take a picture of that receipt, save yep. it to a folder. And then at the end of the year, you can simply share that folder of receipts with your accountant. So they have access to all of those documents as needed. Again, the stuff is really not difficult to do as long as you do it on the go, right? If you don't, if you put it off until the end of the year, my receipts, they're all fabulous apps. Yeah. 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 But if you put all this stuff off until later, then at the end of the year or, you know, prior to April, uh, you're trying to sort through all this information. It just adds again, adds to the stress of, being the business owner and having to manage uh, all the, the the numbers associated with that when it comes to taxes, if you're not proactive. So be proactive, do the simple things, do it as you go, and it'll help minimize stress in the long run. Yeah, it's all about time efficiency. That's what we've been talking about the whole time. So For sure. Yeah, just, I mean, why not spend less, you spend a little time um, throughout the year getting everything set up so that you're not running around crazy and spending more time the the next year getting your taxes ready from the previous year. That's great. That's good. Okay. Well, take us to step number four, if you will. Yeah. So number four is ensuring that you have the necessary contracts in place. So this is actually something I see quite a bit with photographers is uh, not having legitimate contracts with their clients. And I would 
always recommend, I mean, if you're a photographer, you definitely need to have contracts with your clients, but really any small business, if you are creating services or you're creating, um, like physical products for your clients, um, having some type of contract in place is so important. It's more important for service-based businesses, but a contract can just be, you know, an invoice with a product-based business. So I always just recommend, um, there's lots of great places online to get contract templates. I would recommend my friend Christina Scalera's contract shop if you're looking for that, but just in, and maybe even having like an attorney friend look it over so that you can just ensure that you're protected with the services that you're providing. And then I would always just recommend lots of people hire and outsource. You've heard me say this before. And I want to ensure that they have independent contractor agreements in place because you really, really want to ensure that they are independent contractors and they're not deemed as employees for tax purposes. Now, are there, you you mentioned the the online resources for contracts. Uh, Have you seen a lot of kind of sloppy uh, just for lack of a better word, sloppy contracts yeah. out there. You know, people are downloading and thinking they've got a great contract and they're going to give that to your, their client and, and have it signed and they think they're okay. And yet, um, for whatever reason, that contract uh, wasn't worded correctly. And so it potentially, I, I know you don't want to create a sense of fear here, but it, <laughs> the reality is that if, we, if we're using contracts that aren't, or that haven't been designed appropriately or worded mm-hmm. appropriately, then that does potentially put the photographer in a bad place. So what, what are your thoughts on that? I, I completely agree with that. Yes, I have seen lots of contracts that are not set up for success. So yes, you can download template contracts and they work really well if you're you know just starting out. But the, the problem, the bottom line is if you're downloading a contract template, you don't even know what the wording is. You're not a lawyer. You don't understand the wording and how that's going to implicate your business or even what some different clauses mean. And so it's always, 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 I recommend having someone look over it that has a law degree and knows what everything means and can explain it. So I'm consistently reviewing contracts for lots of my clients. It's one of the main services in my um, legal page business. And it's awesome because I can jump on the call with my friends. I, tell, I, I call my clients my friends because I want them to feel like they're getting that one-on-one service. And I'll explain to them what everything means in layperson terms, because I think that's really important that they know what their contract means. Absolutely. Well, and, and we're going to make sure to of course share your website here at the end. Um, so our listeners can jump over there, learn more about what you're doing. And, and I think you've got a free download for them as well. So we'll, we'll get to that here in just a second. I do have a, a contract specific question, and I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer this effectively without more detail, but I, I there was a conversation that I ran into in a photography forum or a Facebook group rather yesterday where the mm-hmm. photographer had mentioned that the mother of the bride was the one paying for the the wedding photography for this couple. In that particular situation, do you recommend getting still having a contract signed by the couple? Is the couple really the original client in that case? Do you have to get a contract both from the couple and uh, from the mother of the bride? How do you recommend going about that process? Always, 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 always the bride and groom. Okay. So I, because I've done, you know, a hundred plus wedding contracts of my own, your clients 
are the bride and groom. They're not the mother of the bride. It doesn't really matter where the money's coming from, but who signs the contracts is the most important. So if you're creating your services for your clients, i.e. the bride and groom, they need to be the ones signing the agreement. And then you just want to have that conversation with your clients about why. Why is because all of those, you know, all of the pictures that you're taking is for them. And you're going to be with them the whole day, not the mother of the bride. So um, yeah, that's the, that's the simple answer to your question. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that's good to know. And, and uh, it's certainly a good thing for all the wedding photographers out there to be aware of. Now, we've hit four steps. I know you mentioned five. So let's go ahead and jump to that fifth step, if you don't mind. Yes, I'll be fast. So I always just say have a plan in place in case something legal comes up. So not trying to be, you know, not the scare tactic here. Again, it's preemptive action. So do you have a go-to lawyer in your hometown that you can call up if something were to happen? I don't want people to like be in a situation where they don't know what to do. And so um, you can look for someone in your hometown. There's a lot of online boutique law firms um, like the legal page that you can reach out to and ask for help. There's quite, I would say there's a, a small handful of us online. And so you just want to find someone that will give you the help that you need. Um, and there's specific attorneys for specific needs. And so lots of times all of us attorneys know each other. And so we're really good at giving referrals as well. So we can help you find someone that will work for you. That's perfect. And, and uh, you know, I think this is just a great segue then to uh, having you share where our listeners can find you online so that they can reach out to you. Um, they can refer to the resources that you have there at the legal page. If you don't mind sharing your website and, and uh, social media as well. Yeah, so you can find me. It's the legal page, P A I G E dot com. Play on words there, hence my name. <laughs> um, and you can find me on Instagram at the legal page. You can find me on Facebook. Um, backslash the legal page. Um, I'm not on Twitter yet. We don't really do a lot of Twitter up in Montana. Sorry. <laughs> and yeah, so I'm primarily on Instagram and Facebook. And then on my website, you all can find my free download on my top 10 business tricks. So that includes the five that I talked about today and a few more awesome tricks for you. That's perfect. And we'll make sure to link to that resource in the show notes at thebocapodcast.com. So um, you all can go over there, check that out. There are going to be a significant number of resources there at Haley, who heads up our digital marketing and also does the the podcast edits, just does a beautiful job of kind of compiling all of the information and resources in these podcast episodes. So if you guys are listening in, um, haven't been over to thebookofpodcast.com, make sure you, you go there. Uh, you can also go to photographersedit.com and just click on podcast and you'll get to those resources as well. But Paige, thank you so much for making time to share with the Boca Podcast listeners today. Very, very practical information. And and I love the focus, uh, again, and, and that you're helping photographers and entrepreneurs ultimately uh, minimize the, the fear associated with the legal side of, of running a business. You're helping them feel protected and confident. And, and I really, truly appreciate you making time to share with our listeners. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was a great conversation and I hope it was helpful to the listeners. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics 
and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. <laughs>